If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa Cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa Cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. On episode 39 of Confessions of a Marketer, we're talking rebranding. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Happy New Year. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Hope 2019 is off to a good start for you. Today I've got Elle Wolf in for the first of two episodes on the rebrand she undertook with her company Path Factory, which used to be Lookbook HQ. So what's coming up? Well, next time we'll have part two of my discussion with Elle. And coming up in a couple of weeks, we have Bill Burkhart, president of Wonderman Data Management, in for a discussion about turning data into stories. I also want to let you know about a new podcast I've been cooking up with influencer and investor Garnett Harriman, The Innovation Podcast. I posted a preview episode here the other day. Hope you were able to give it a listen. Garnett and I plan to talk with people who are changing things on the leading edge of change and pushing innovation to the limits. So far, we've talked with a couple of people and those chats will go live soon. Plus, Garnett will be on location at CES and we'll have some chats from there to share. Really looking forward to digging into this new vein of discussion, and I hope you'll subscribe. It's on Apple Podcasts right now and is available at the iPod.fireside.fm with a custom URL just around the corner. Lots more to come on that, and lots more confessions of a marketer to come in the year ahead. So, on to L. Wolf, someone I've worked with on a couple of occasions and have known since the early 2000s. Elle's rebrand of Lookbook HQ wasn't a new coat of paint, it was a top-to-bottom rethink. I wanted to get to the bottom of the origins of the rebrand and what the process was, what the thinking was, and so forth. It was such a great discussion, we're extending it to two parts. Here's part one. Hope you enjoy the chat and let's get to it. Elle, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. So happy to have you here. Thank you. So tell me what precipitated the Path Factory rebrand. Was it kind of a dawn breaks on Marblehead moment, or did it slowly become evident that you needed a rebrand? Well, um, it actually, I mean, it was it was an evolution over time. I think, you know, I was one of the first, outside of the two co-founders, I was one of the first people on the, on the leadership team. So I had been there for quite a while. And I mean, I think it was obvious to me from day one that the name had a little bit of baggage, right? It sort of signaled something mm-hmm. kind of small and widgety and being more about looking 
<laughs> versus being about moving people through a journey and sort of, you know, understanding what they were doing in that journey. And so in large part, we had sort of outgrown the name that the vision and the reality of what we were doing was much bigger than the name that we had. But it wasn't causing us significant pain. I mean, it just... You know, um, as we were, we had, you know, really been successful in going up market, selling to large enterprises, really extending the value of our platform. And so, you know, it did have the trappings of this kind of scrappy startup. And so, you know, when we actually began the process of rebranding, we didn't commit to it at all. We were working on some messaging and some positioning stuff. And that kind of led us to this place where we were working actually with a great agency that, and we, we had a wonderful experience with them. And they said, you know, we never recommend this to anyone, but have you guys ever considered changing your name? And it was like, yeah. you know, the three of us kind of looked at each other and said, well, well yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've all kind of thought of, uh, about it from time to time, but it's, you know, no one wants to jump into a, a rebranding project. It's a big project, right? And everyone has an opinion about it and you're never going to make everybody happy. And, and so, you know, we said, well, why don't we we see what it would look like? Let's at least explore it. Let's go down the path. And I kind of felt like if we did that and we saw what could be possible, who we could be, there was a high likelihood that we would all sort of fall in love with that vision. And that and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's interesting. And nothing ever happens like it does in textbooks. It's always uh, kind of there's a circuitous route or you know something triggers something else and suddenly you've got a rebrand, right? That's right. And I mean, you have to be careful. Like, you know, for us where we had a lot of momentum and the wind at our backs and, and things were going really well for us, you know, rebrands can signal something something negative. I mean, a lot of yeah. times you hear about companies rebranding in the wake of, of something that was not positive, and yet we were doing it for the opposite reason, to capture the momentum and to signal that we were doing something big and that we weren't that little startup that, that some people thought we were. And that was pointed out to us by you know members of our board and, and lots of different people as we went. But I really, you know, my background's in demand generation. I've, I've worked for a lot of MarTech companies in, in demand gen, and I approach everything like a big integrated campaign. Like, let's really make sure we, you know, we get as many touch points out there as possible, that we tell the story, um, that we're really clear about, uh, about you know, when, when we go out there and, and tell everyone that we've rebranded, that we tell them why we did it. And we're, we're really transparent about that. So, it, I mean, it really gave us an opportunity to sort of, revisit people we hadn't talked to, give people a reason to talk to us again. And it, it ended up being not just a rebrand, but a big demand gen campaign for us, an opportunity to talk to buyers um, who may have some preconceived notion about us or had talked to us a long time ago. And we had, you know, obviously grown up a lot since then. So it was a very positive experience overall. Yeah, so my next question kind of related to that about talking to customers and other stakeholders to kind of arrive at what you needed to do. How did you handle that? Yeah, it was a pretty involved process. Now, I'll say it was a pretty involved process, but we also did not give ourselves a ton of time um, because we, by the time we made the decision that we were going to move forward with the rebrand, um, we knew that we wanted to launch at a big event. And the big event for us in our space is the Serious Decision Summit, which was happening in May. Mm -hmm. uh, by the time we sort of locked in on the idea that we would move forward, it was it was well into February. And so we just <laughs> had to, but you know, we're, a small agile team and I was confident that, you know, if we project managed it, you know, and executed on it in the right way, we would be fine. So there's a number of things that we did. I mean, 
you know, when we were doing this sort of initial bit of messaging and positioning work, there were several customers who were included in the early research phase of that. So there's a lot of feedback on how, you know, the value that we provided those customers and how people think of us and and what they think of us in terms of where we fit in their stack and all of that stuff. So that was all sort of part of it. And there were a lot of internal stakeholder interviews, you know, people who had worked at the company for a long time and, and lots of different perspectives, you know, that were brought in. So that kind of, I think, helped to inform the names, the actual selection of names and, and what, you know, sort of would be a good fit for us and, and what we wanted to stay away from. And we had all these, you know, very specific opinions about, you know, it can't be a name that is difficult to spell or that you have to spell for people. Or, um, you know, it, it, we don't like these 10 words for various reasons because they right. have a lot of baggage. So, I mean, we, we brought all that sort of to the table. Then, you know, once we locked in on a name and really, you know, we're, we're getting too close to rebranding, um, we actually let a lot of our advocates, our customer advocates in on the news quite early. And part of the motivation for that was we wanted them to feel like they were part of it, like they were part of our story and they were part of our news and that they would be brand ambassadors for us when the news got out. And I've watched a lot of B2B brands go through the process of rebranding. And I think it ends up being sort of like a ripple in the ocean because they sort of like change their name and do the thing and put out a press release and that's it. And again, I treated it like the biggest campaign I had ever run. I mean, every channel, every possible touch point I can think of was utilized. And so one of the things we did was a couple of weeks before we were going to announce publicly that we rebranded we shipped out about 100 boxes and many of those went to customers and important influencers and and you know other folks you know in the ecosystem and thought leaders and things like that and it contained all this really lovely branded swag with our our new company name and and kind of said hey you know please don't mention this yet because it's, <laughs> it's not public knowledge yet but we wanted we wanted you to be the first to know that this right. is happening and so we brought a, a select group of people along early and i think that was a really good decision um i think those people have been part of the story and they helped us to tell the story and then we did something that other people thought i was insane when when we you know decided to do this but we told the entire uh, Path Factory staff, we told everyone at the company about a month before. Mm. They knew the name. They knew what the identity was going to look like. Uh, we revealed it um, every Friday, sort of piece by piece. We showed them a new thing. We actually even took them through, here's all the names we didn't choose. <laughs> so they could kind of get a, I guess, because I know, you know, you, you, it's really hard to all of a sudden wake up and say like, oh, I used to work here and now I work here. It's hard to change your name. And so, you know, we thought we could kind of soften the blow for people who weren't fully bought in by saying, yeah, but okay, you could have been one of these right. names and, and maybe you, maybe now Path Factory sounds great. And so, um, you know, we wanted to treat them like grownups and believe that they could hold this, you know, in confidence. And um, we needed them to be really excited and, and bought into this idea um, because it, it, it shapes our culture, right? I mean, it's part of who we are. A lot of companies keep it completely under wraps until the end. And we just decided that wasn't the right move for us. And the, the news did not leak out. It was a, a big secret until the day that we launched. And I think the employees really appreciated being a part of that. They're all adults and you can trust them. Yeah, you'd like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> if you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. So how did you arrive at all the different elements of the brand? First of all, the name, you know, then the visual identity, the tone of voice and all that. 
Yeah. So I have to give a shout out to Velocity Partners out of the UK is the agency that we worked with on the project. And they are a great content marketing agency, but they also are a great branding agency. Um, and they knew us really well and they, they know our space really well. And so we had been partners with them for quite a while. And, you know, so we kind of decided like, let's go forward. And it was easier in some ways because they knew us so well and they knew what we were all about. Um, and they knew what our roadmap looks like and, and what we were trying to do and why the name was problematic. And so we did go through um, some pretty exhaustive, you know, stakeholder interviews to the people that were close to the project again of, and some of it's just, you know, subjective. Like I don't like things that feel like this or look like this or sure. so we had this whole spectrum of kind of types of names, you know, emotive or, um, you know, really rational or, you know, scientific types of names. And this kind of they built this big spectrum for us. And, you know, we gave them lots of things to stay away from and stuff like that. And so they they went and they did just an unbelievable job, I think, of just name exploration. Part of that was looking at what domains would be available. I mean, if something was going to be incredibly costly, we probably were going to stay away from it. We're a you know growth stage company, so we weren't going to spend millions and millions of dollars to get a domain. And so that was the initial phase. And you know, they came back with, I gosh, I don't even remember what the first cut was. It was like a hundred names. And I I very deliberately had them only take, you know, a very small group of us, to, uh, myself and, and two uh, people on the marketing team through that. Because I just, I knew like that's too much for anyone to process. So we kind of went through the first pass of like, let's let's cut some stuff out. So by the time we got it down to around 20 names, we then brought it to, you know, our CEO and our chief product officer who are our two co-founders. And I felt comfortable like, okay, this is a manageable set that we can all start to look at. And I had everybody kind of blind vote. And we sort of looked to see like, where are we aligned and where are we not together on this? And we were unbelievably like very aligned on Path Factory. And that kind of gives you a sense like, oh, we, th- we must be onto something if we all feel like this is, you know, this is it. Right. Um, and so and so that was it. I mean, the one thing that I think uh, works to our benefit is that um, we are an incredibly agile, you know, organization and we're just used to operating with urgency. So while we approach everything from a very analytical perspective, we don't also get bogged down by that analysis, like we'll look at the data and, you know, and then we, and then we decide and we move on. And so we didn't drag it out. Um, we didn't sort of belabor it and beat it up and look for reasons not to make that choice. We, you know, we kind of were confident that our, our judgment was sound. And then on the identity side, you know, we actually, it was, it was hard to walk away from our old brand because I had been there about three years, probably by the time we rebranded and the designer who had really built our brand, um, had been with me since the beginning and she's still with us today. She's an incredible designer. We're so lucky to have her. And it was all her sort of aesthetic and point of view and illustration style. And a lot of it was very unique to us. I mean, we had very custom illustrations and avatars and, but it was, it was a little bit overly playful, uh, for where we wanted to be. It was, you know, a little bit almost childish to, to a point. And so we, we knew we wanted to grow out of that identity system while maintaining what people loved about our brand because people did really, really respond well to the brand because it was lighthearted and it was fun and it was accessible. And so we knew we wanted to keep that element, but grow it up. Like, how can we still be a fun, creative, interesting, edgy B2B brand, which is hard because a lot of B2B brands are pretty boring. (laughs) 
And but but how can we do that in a way that's almost a little bit more classy and sophisticated? And so that's kind of what drove us. And then the name gave us so many vehicles for that because path factory it's all about you know we're all about how do you take a buyer and move them through this path to purchase how do you make it easy for them how do you enable them to to surface the, how do you how do you help them just to find the content that they need to make decisions and help them to consume it in a way that's that's really expeditious and efficient and all of this stuff and so that was all about paths and that gave us a lot of you know, fodder for sort of, you know, look and feel and, and illustrative styles and things like that. And, and then factory was, you know, all about sort of order and repetition and predictability and efficiency. And um, so I think with those two things that gave us a, a lot of ammunition to kind of figure out what that style should look like. And I'm, I'm really pleased with it because I do think a lot of B2B marketing just isn't as fun or interesting as it could be. We're very lucky that we market to marketers and that gives us, you know, a little bit of leeway to be more creative. But uh, yeah, I mean, we just um, started to kind of go in a direction and, and we liked where it was headed. And so we just kind of kept at it. And that's, you know, the style that you see today. Thanks to Elle for being here. Next time we look at her secret weapon, how long the process was, what she learned that might help you if you're contemplating a rebrand, and what, if anything, she'd do differently. All right, so let's forge ahead into 2019. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Reed Edwards Global Inc., and this episode is copyright 2019. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.